API Resilience Podcast. It's our belief that APIs are central in the changing business landscape that has been named digital transformation, and that digital transformation through APIs offers the opportunity for a dramatic shift in how companies can work together and participate in creating value. We've invited guests from many different types of organizations and asked them to share insights from their journeys and their API programs, as well as the challenges, objectives, and approaches as they endeavor to make their companies and communities more resilient. I mean, that was actually one of the reasons for writing the book was to be able to get that philosophy public, right? To, to be able to continue to share that knowledge. The job of a developer is to kind of unpack how things work. And when they see some marketing messages, they are kind of decoding how is this working behind the scenes. Developers always sort of looking for how that works. And that's a beautiful thing that you can tap into because they're naturally wanting to figure out how things work. Welcome to the API Resilience Podcast. For today's episodes, we have Adam Devander, who's a returning guest, and he recently published his second book I just learned. I thought that was a perfect reason to have another chat with Adam, to dive a little bit deeper and, and maybe to get you excited about buying a copy of his book. So welcome, welcome, Adam. And um, Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it's always a pleasure to to have you. You're you're kind of like an API storyteller and and you're you're doing that as a job, but you're you're also doing that in the community even when it's not really your job. Yeah, stories is is the the juice of life. That's what makes things interesting. Yeah, good to have you back. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think honestly, it's the it's the piece that's that technical companies need to do better also is better telling that story, not just, you know, this is how the wires connect together, but, you know, why does it matter? Why would you even be doing these connections? So that's really the stuff that, um, you know, in the book I try to go into is, is the various ways and content, um, you know, written content being sort of where my bias is for sure. Uh, but just looking for those ways to tell those stories and do it in an authentic way that's, that attracts developers, whichever developers you want to sort of be in, in your community and hopefully then using your product. There's something that's very near and dear to, to my heart, which is, you know, blatant promotion, manipulation that that's just a really, really bad thing to do. And that it's it's not just a bad thing, it just also doesn't really work. I, I think probably that is a hot take because I believe this holds true across industries, also outside of the developer market. But I'm not sure if that's really true because there's some manipulation happening out there that is effective. And I'd like to believe that ultimately this way of marketing, which is about education, that this is going to win out. But I don't know, what, what do you think about this? Is Are developers the, the front runners and is this the new world that we're going to be in? Or is this more a fluke and developers are different? Yeah, that's an interesting concept that's, that developers might be ushering in a world where, where everyone is more skeptical of marketing. I think if you look at some of the trends in the social tools, the social media 
you'll find that developers have long been skeptical of that. And now issues like privacy are starting to be things that uh, are brought up outside of developer circles. So mm -hmm. I think there could be something to, to developers sort of bringing on this new world. But in terms of marketing, I've had people say the ideas in the book, uh, which, which are really about inspiring and educating developers first before you insert your product into the story, that those concepts can fit outside of developer circles as well. And I completely agree. And <laughs> I encourage marketers who are looking to reach other audiences to use those same concepts. I think the one big difference is that in marketing to other audiences, you can maybe get away with some other tactics, some more promotional things that, you know, just the law of large numbers will allow you to reach people. But the same thing does not happen with developers uh, because those those large numbers just aren't in your favor because a developer is going to be completely turned away from something that that seems promotional. And, you know, I have seen this time and again in my attempts to tell stories and to do it on behalf of companies. And it doesn't take very much to get a developer to say something. I was just looking back at a tweet that someone had sent when I was at Zapier. And this is back 2017 or so, but it has stuck with me because the tweet said something like this, this, all this to, to something I'd written, which is great. And then he said, other than the marketing spiel, this is a, <laughs> this is a, a great post. And that, you know, as, as someone who attempts not to do that, that was just like a dagger to the heart. And it really was using the Zapier platform as an example which I think mm. makes sense on a Zapier blog post. And then a really small call to action at the end that says, if you have an API that you want to connect your users to, check out the Zapier platform. So minimal. So that's just an example of, uh, and I don't think that that means you should not put your product in at all, right? I think that's just an example of how in tune to those messages that is. And that that's, to this one developer, at least, came across as marketing spiel. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so that's why, why I think that developers are particularly difficult to reach with those typical marketing tactics, which is why, yeah, in the book, I, I talk about shifting that focus and really saying, okay, let's imagine that there is no developer marketing. Developer marketing does not exist. The title of the book, <laughs> then how would we reach this person and how can we then show that we know what we're talking about when it comes to the technology behind our product and then really help that developer be able to learn a little bit from us which a developer wants to know what's happening behind the scenes how does this how does this work and then once you've built that trust you're the natural choice yeah. I mean, maybe they do go off and they build it themselves, but a, a large number will say, okay, these people know what's going on, so I will use their product now. So one of the things, our company, Pronovix, we organize the API the Docs conference series. We also organize the DevPort Awards. One of the most common critiques I'm getting from colleagues is, you're not promoting us enough. Like uh, this, this, this mm. is often happens where people are saying, 
or or even sometimes like um, partners who are like sponsoring events. Hey, Christoph, like, you know, you need to talk more about your business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I've always felt that it, it feels like we are creating community first and we are reshaping the world. Like it's kind of like ecosystem building. I feel like it feels to me, it feels like gardening. You're creating, you're changing the soil so that the plants will grow better, but you're not, you don't really want to weed every, like everything out. You, you want to create a system that's going to be self-sustaining and that is going to create more life together with you rather than a place where you're going to have to fight for every single plant that you're putting in the soil. And I feel that that's, that's a more systems way of, of doing marketing. It's much slower. It's a very different way of doing things, but it feels healthier. It's more, I think, I want to believe that it's more resilient. You know, I came to, to this work first from a journalistic standpoint. So yeah. in journalism, you have to find the point of, of something. And the point is definitely not to promote. And yes. so that's sort of the first angle that I came from. And then also from developer relations. So working at SendGrid and seeing the team that, and actually seeing them before I joined them, I would go out to conferences as we used to do. And I would see in person the how that team would connect many times one-to-one -one with developers. And if you imagine a one-to-one -one conversation, it's really hard to get very far with anybody promoting. I mean, no one, no one likes oh, no. To, to be the, the, the one that's on the receiving end of someone bragging about themselves or their company. And yes. so that sort of approach, one developer at a time that they took and there are others, I mean, Twilio at the time was out there. Twilio now we probably think of, you know, much more one-to-many and sort of having this great developer reputation mm -hmm. But in many ways, that was built one developer at a time at many events over a long time. And if you contrast that with maybe someone going and to an event and attempting to get as many business cards as they can so that they can put that into Salesforce so that they can yeah. start to send you know, <laughs> messages to all of these developers, you can see how, how that maybe you you find a few people right away, but over the long term, that's going to flame out as a strategy. That sort of one-to-one uh, -one developer interaction that then slowly builds over time. I mean, there are, I've given a couple examples of that working so far. And then I believe that content can do a lot of that effort for you if you're able to get in front of those developers as they are researching something or wanting to learn a new technology to be able to take it to the one to many while keeping that same kind of the same approach you would take if you did have one developer that you were sort of chatting with. We call it be generous and be vulnerable. So give before you take or don't even try to take, just give and don't hide the bodies. Like if something is not perfect, um, it's mm -hmm. okay. And, and this is actually, this is really a conversation I've had several times, especially when, when I'm interacting with people from North America, uh, often it's like, oh, you don't get this. Like you're not doing marketing, right? 
you know, you need to promote yourself more. And I, how, what is your advice for like that careful balance? Or I don't know if you have an advice for that. Like, how do you carry that balance? Like what, with that article that you mentioned where you were using your products and where you had a call to action, would you do that differently now? Or you were like, okay, that was just, that was one person for whom it didn't work. But this, this I, was okay. Yeah, I, would, I would do it the same way. Yeah, I went back and, and reread it. And I mean, if you think about the first half of his tweet, yeah, it was the this, this, everything in here. I mean, right. it was 100% <laughs> on. Yeah. Uh, and I believe it was something like API authentication best practices or uh, you know something yeah. along along those lines. Yeah, and so, I mean, I think the there's going to be a little bit of that you know it's a little bit of the, the uh feeling like there's any bit of it is is marketing i mean even the fact that it showed up on the zapier site and i mean so it's zapier.com and the header i mean i'm sure said sign up here or <laughs> or log in or upgrade or whatever right i mean whatever is in the in the navigation um and so i mean is that like where do you draw that line if you're going to, to draw it? And it can be a great strategy, actually, to have a something that's completely non-branded, something that is off-site. But you want to be able to have some way to be able to connect that down the line, right? And that's where having something part of your own site can help just have that little halo effect of... of yeah. uh, a developer interacting and remembering, oh, I learned about this from your product. Yeah. Um, I think if there's a if there's a natural next step from some of the content, like someone who who had a SaaS API and was researching about uh, OAuth and they found that article on on Zapier that we've been talking about, their natural next step might be to check out the platform. Like, oh, we've been doing integrations one at a time, this is a way that we can get, I mean, now I think 3,000 integrations in one integration. Yeah. Let's let's do that. Like, I think that that would be, and they would be happy about it, right? Because uh, because it solved the problem for them. So I think that that's the, that's where, so finding that balance is finding those natural next steps. And it's the unnatural next step that gets that sort of negative reaction. Uh, right. And so, for that particular developer, even though he liked everything else that was in in the post, it was clearly an unnatural next step for him. Yeah, and you just want to want to have have as many of those that are a natural next step. I, I've, I've once heard I don't remember where it came from, but that you need like two modes when you are were selling. There's the influencing modes where you should not mention what you're doing, or you know, don't even mention a product. You're just trying to establish credibility. And then there's the, okay, and and then when the, the customer is ready to buy, you have to switch to, mm -hmm. to this sales mode. And if you switch too soon, you alienate people and, and people go away like, oh, no, this is this is not right. I, I need to get out of here because uh, they're taking advantage of me. Like my mm -hmm. attention is being misused to somebody else's purposes rather than my own purposes. I guess market like content marketing is is a good way of having both out there, and 
letting people choose like when they're ready to click on the call to action to go to the more okay now i'm actually going to sell you the product and i'm going to uh, go into depth about these things but you know there's if if that's not for you that's fine like yeah this is this is on the house uh, here's some knowledge <laughs> yeah um and i think there's a, a step in between there that's even just trying something out yeah. right like there's that next step that a developer takes is probably going to be kind of kicking the tires on it checking it out seeing if it does sort of what it seems like from the content they've read and being able to have a developer experience that allows for that sort of tinkering is an important piece in the whole story so you can tell all yeah. the the great stories you want and have them not be promotional. But then if there's sort of a gulf between, okay, I'm ready to see what you have and actually being able to use it. And that gulf could be, I need to talk to someone or mm -hmm. I need to fill out a form that's asking me lots of questions, including a phone number, which feels like I need to talk to someone, any of those sorts of barriers. And for some developers, it might be, oh, you want my email address at all. Mm -hmm. But finding how you can sort of have that be a natural step where, oh, of course, I'm going to give you my email to check this thing out because you've maybe let me see a demo or let me, you know, yeah, poke at something uh, where I don't need credentials. I mean, if you look at Stripe for the longest time, since the very early days of Stripe, you've been able to try out API calls right there without creating an account and then seamlessly go in when it's when you're ready to have your information in there you can create an account and so a lot of people talk about stripe as oh this great developer experience from the you know the three column uh, documentation yeah. <laughs> layout or or you know it's it actually looks like they use design to make it look nice but all of those things are not as important as how easy it is to get from checking it out to to taking your first real step yourself the trust and, journey uh, yeah. yeah and so looking uh looking for ways to be able to uh streamline that that process yeah it's 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 like a, a developer like it's a trust journey it's the slowly but surely building up trust by having small interactions small transactions and letting people take the step themselves, like let them choose when to place that trust. And I, th I think that this is also why blatant promotion feels so wrong because it's an abuse of trust because you've taken my attention and now you're redirecting it to what you want from me rather than what I need from you. Yeah. So I believe, I actually believe that this is, this is the future. I believe that pure blatant promotion is not going to work or not going to keep working or that it's a, it's a very unsophisticated way of using attention and attention is too valuable today to use it that way. So I think, I think that that is going to, going to grow. I think that's a great lens to, to see it through. And promotion is one of the things that would degrade that trust. So to avoid that, I've said, focus on education and how can you teach them? I think that if your education does not hit the mark also, if it doesn't come through as authentically that you understand the technology behind mm -hmm. it, 
then that will also degrade the trust. So it's not simply yeah. like, let's pull all of our all of our product information out of this and then just tell them, tell them what, right? Like you have to, mm -hmm. you have to make sure that the, what remains there is still useful and pulls them through on, on their journey. And uh, I mean, I think you're right. You can look at any other field and I think marketers would probably agree with both of us that trust is an important aspect. And mm -hmm. that, you know, if you are selling kitchen knives and you have never done anything in the kitchen and have have no concept of what it's like to chop vegetables then it's going to be pretty hard to to connect with a buyer who is looking for a really nice kitchen knife and so i think that's that there are parallels for sure and just that yeah the audience the developer audience is uh really attuned to whether people understand where they're coming from and i think it's from many years of not having people understand what they do so why, why are developers different? Why are they earlier in this? Is this because developers are so much like flooded by information? Or what, what is it actually that makes them different? Yeah, I think, I think there's a couple of things. I think that firstly, it's the many years of having had people tell them that some technology is amazing and... <laughs> And then have it not <laughs> not fulfill the uh, the promise, and throughout that also having received things that are promotional. And by the way, I don't think that is always done intentionally. I think that that is an easy place to go to when you don't fully understand where the developer is. Any marketer will tell you, yes, we want to talk about benefits, not features, but if you don't truly understand how that benefit is felt, it's harder to do and easier to talk about features. So I think there's been a lot of that that has happened to, to developers. So they're naturally skeptical of anything that kind of smells like promotion. But then, I mean, I look at it as the job of a developer is to kind of unpack how things work. And so I think when they see some marketing messages, they are kind of decoding how is this working behind the scenes? I mean, what is it about having a lead form that has a telephone number that you know makes them play through what is going to happen? They're playing through the future just like they have to do when they write code. What are the edge cases this, that I'm going to run into? <laughs> what are the, the way this is logically going to play out? And, uh, and I, so I think that that's the other angle to that is that they're always sort of looking for how that works. And that's a beautiful thing that you can tap into with education because they're naturally wanting to figure out how things work and, yeah. and to learn new things. Yeah. Rather than going against that and, or having it work against you, like have it work for you. So then maybe developers are different. I, I've, I'm thinking a lot about the difference between products and services uh, from a business perspective. This is kind of like the eternal question for us. It's like, should we focus purely on the product side or should, do we need to keep doing the service side? And right now, I feel that we need to do services because without services, it's going to be harder for customers to be successful. So it's, it's like there's the tool side where you build a technology that enables behavior. And then there's the behavior side where you're using technology 
to create a certain process and uh, the behavior that actually in the end results in, in, in the outcome. And maybe as developers, we are so much focused on building tools that we think differently because we are looking in constraints and affordances rather than in mm -hmm. this other way of like maybe the emotional thing or the, I, I'm, 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 I'm kind of baffled by this because every company or pretty much every company I've gone to, I ask them like, so how do you do documentation? And today, and, and almost always people say we're using Confluence and Confluence is, is a great wiki. It's a, it's a good product. But then I asked them, like, so are you happy about it? And almost always they say, no, we're not happy about this. I, I, we had, I had one team that was actually really excited about it, uh, but they were doing a whole bunch of work to make it work. So I think what, I, what it comes down to is that marketing, this promotion, sells us that we'll achieve an outcome just by buying that product. The only thing we need mm -hmm. to do, buy this product, and you will have to immediately magically achieve this outcome. And that's a fake promise because no single tool can get you to an outcome. Like this, at least you need to use that tool to get to the outcome. And I think this is the problem is that, and, and probably developers, they know this intuitively because right. they've seen too often people take their tools and completely screwing up. <laughs> They're like, you know, the, the edge cases and, yeah. and, and just maybe this is why. Yeah, I uh, I mean, in terms of documentation, there's a lot of effort <laughs> that goes into that that isn't the tool, right? And right. I think I think developers can fall into thinking it's the tool too. For them, the Achilles heel is not the perfect platform that they should buy, but it's the one they're going to build that they're going to oh, yes. that they're going to piece together, <laughs> and it yes. will solve all all of the issues. And I think that there are just really hard problems that come into being able to describe how something works and why it's important the way it works <laughs> that can kind of cloud those waters there for any platform, which is maybe why the services can be helpful there because it's useful to have someone who says, remember, we need to think about it this way and this way, <laughs> right? To be able to have the right mindset in using a tool. I mean, I think developers are definitely a unique audience for sure, but there can still be things to to learn from the educational approach. Uh, there's a, a great book by Kathy Sierra called Badass mm -hmm. that is about this for not just developer tools where it's, if you sell a camera, you want to make someone a better photographer, not mm. help them to use the tiny features in the camera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah right. exactly. Yeah, so that's a, a a great book. It's not really about marketing. It's about making your customers a badass. So there's definitely applications beyond developers. It's definitely still, I think the, the difficulty is sort of being able to get to that place of empathy with a with a developer. And that takes a mix of skills for sure. Well, I think, I guess this is what, it, to some extent, is being human. It's be, be like being a tool maker, or the, the ultimate tool maker on planet Earth. And we've solved so many problems with tools that we kind of like blindly believe that, you know, it's just a matter of finding the right tool and all our problems will go away. This is also like a, a zeitgeist that needs to change uh, because it, it's, it feels that we are on the cusp of 
disillusionment with all our tools. And at the same time, the realization that, you know, yeah, tools are great, but you always have to see them in the context of all the other things. And I think that that's, that's coming back to like the storytelling. And what well, I was talking about like the, the agriculture example or the, the, the gardening example, it, it's the, the permaculture way is like, you, you should not look at um, input output only. You have to look at um, how you're going to create a system that is going to keep working mm-hmm. and that is going to propel itself. So where you have to do less, all the time, less and less work. So rather than looking at it as, um, you know, we're going to pour in some marketing efforts and we're going to promote, yeah. you know, spend a lot of money promoting this thing. And then we're going to have this funnel. And at the end, we have people coming out. They're going to buy a product. It's looking at like, what is the assets that we can build and that are going to do this work for us so that we don't have to keep on pouring more in. Mm-hmm. And it's like, instead of instead of this, you know, the the oil economy way of doing things where we extract a bunch of energy out of the soil and then we pump it into systems and then we get an output. You're looking like, okay, how can we design this smarter so that we don't have to do all this work anymore? I think that's, that is, I think what you're onto. And that is, I think how marketing will change Probably. <laughs> yeah. And and there are definitely there are definitely tools that can help along the way, but there's also humans and processes and mindsets that you can get into. This you saying the human thing reminded me I've been co-hosting one of the other API podcasts, API Intersection, where we've had conversations with API practitioners in large enterprises who are creating internal APIs. And there are so many tools for those things, but the biggest problems that come up over and over again are the the human ones. How can how can I you know spread this message to the rest of my company? What are the ways that I can encourage consistency in the APIs that we're making when we're making thousands of APIs and no human can can review every last bit down to every last detail and so yeah, there. From uh, from those stories, we've seen yes, there's some tools that people use to be able to automate some of this, but a lot of it also is sort of human communication and uh, and internal documentation. Coming back, coming back yeah. to that, right? And so, so I think that that for sure, this it goes beyond developer marketing. Uh, if developer marketing exists, uh, and uh, goes into all of the different tools and we as api practitioners are all right in the middle of this because uh i mean if you think about it really software today is apis really i mean that's a huge portion of it yeah so we're seeing we're seeing all of this within whether the api is public and you need to kind of have some marketing aspect to it or if you're instead figuring out how to do internal marketing i think it's uh we're all in the middle of it here. And it's this dance, this evolutionary dance of the language in which a culture is communicating. And the culture is evolving based on the language and the language is evolving based on the culture. And I think this is what, what APIs do is that it, it is a language for us to evolve 
the set of tools that we're building and and this ecosystem of of services and and that is a lot about like what is center of mind what do people know and what are they familiar with and what do they understand and that is a lot about education <laughs> yeah it also connects for me you've you've done some hiring like so your your consultancy i don't know have you have you bumped into this problem we we've hired sometimes people that come from a completely different industry and that that's they're like excited about doing tech and it but they haven't really tried it out yet we've had some really brilliant people that were very very in, in, like emotionally incredibly intelligent that it just didn't work they were just they they bumped off it feels that it is about like what are what's already the knowledge that's in their head and can they is what they're going to be doing an extension of their current identity or does it require like a a, a jump like that is too big like between who they are today and who they need to be to be working with you uh, have you have you had this this problem for sure yeah. yeah yeah um you know i think it has to do as much with my own frame of reference and i would say for you your frame of reference as it does for <laughs> for them and it's been amazing to learn what things are just in my brain that are sort of natural to how I work, uh, yeah. and then how how can I learn to to teach those to to my team to make those sort of instinctive for them? It's so yeah. hard. Yeah, it's so hard. Like because your job is about you professionally. You're you're all about storytelling and writing stories. Now we do a lot of storytelling, like for a blog post. It's so so hard to to like bringing new people into this frame and like is this just me is this just because i just want to change it because it doesn't feel like i've said it or is this really something that actually makes sense and that is not right how many times that we've gone through this like together with laura like this is kind of like our field that we we spend a lot of time on Every time we had somebody new doing content we were like oh no 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 don't do this but I, you're doing this full time, so yes. Oh, so God. I mean, it's still. I mean, I <laughs> I still come upon it. But I mean, that was actually one of the reasons for writing the book was to be able to get that philosophy public, right? To to be able to continue to to share that knowledge, and uh, I've attempted to capture that internally for for my team as well, and certainly in work with clients. Um, but yeah, I wanted to wanted to get as much of that as I could out, and I'm you know it obviously the book doesn't have down to the the details of the sort of visceral reactions that you're talking about where you just kind of you know that something hasn't quite hit the mark. I mean that's yeah. that's sort of a a taste that I'm not sure can be captured in any form other than just having seen it, and so that's what I try to do with my team is to be able to take them through my kind of reactions to <laughs> to that stuff and hope to be able to develop that same sort of taste in them and wherever i can find a way to document that i absolutely do <laughs> but yeah i think uh, i think some of it is just built up over time it's almost like you need like a, a bayesian training program 
with like <laughs> the See, you're thinking off. like a programmer now yeah <laughs> that's right ai will fix this for us uh. um so yeah kind of kind of like analyzing people's writing and then feeding back articles based that that are doing similar patterns like can you spot where this is wrong mm -hmm. yeah interesting I, I hadn't thought about it, but I'm going to ask all new hires that join us for writing to read your book. I think that's a that's a good place to start. Excellent. So in the title, developer marketing does not exist. It's powerful because of the juxtaposition or it is powerful because it is polarizing, right? It, you know, because it is saying kind of like, well, you know, be careful, marketing might not be onto the right thing. But then there are people that believe that promotion is the way. They believe in funnels because they've seen it work. I actually, I had a conversation with Laura about this, I think yesterday or today. You know, like the startup founder who is like extremely organized and has this super strict plan and they've got it all like mapped out. Mm -hmm. And like, and you're looking at that and you're feeling like, am I a loser? Like, why am I not as organized? And how come that I cannot work that way? Because I don't work that way. Mm -hmm. And I just wonder, for people that are really so methodological, that are that really do see the world in funnels and in linear patterns, how do you overcome that objection? They're like, no, 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 just, you know, you're all wrong, Adam. This is not how it works. Yeah. I had a couple of reviewers who only knowing about the title of the book said, well, mm. I'm not sure because I kind of think it does exist. And, <laughs> uh, and I had to say, well, you know, the idea is that to do it right, you have to treat it like it doesn't. I think you can take the developer marketing does not exist philosophy and lay it on top of your funnel approach you know you the marketer and in fact a lot of the companies that i work with i'm working with the marketing departments and they are good at what they do and for them for many of them it is about the funnel and and taking someone through it i think what this does is give you the authentic content that can take someone from one step of the funnel to another and so with developers it just take someone who can provide that authenticity and really knows the subject and knows kind of that approach that won't feel promotional. That's where it can coexist with the the funnel approach. To me they're not they're not at odds. They can they can coexist, but it does require a little bit of a, a kind of mind shift. Yeah, to be willing to set aside some of those tools in your marketing toolbox and recognizing that it's just a little bit different of an audience. I'm still wondering because I'm listening to a book about uh, permaculture. Like um, in the weekends, I go crazy in the garden. I'm like, by education, I'm a bioengineer. So I, I studied, you know, the engineering way of looking at living systems, which is, you know, input, output, and and maybe a system in between. But you know, and it feels that there's this shift happening and, and there's other people in the API space that are very much looking at it this way, which is not just 
pushing against it and forcing it to go somewhere, but understanding it, looking at it, and then doing small tweaks, kind of like the, the Sun Tzu way of building organization and doing marketing, which is, you know, the very little action, don't go fight, don't, don't go to war against your customers, but understand what's going on and do really small changes. And then they will come on their own. Because I think that's the best way with the least opposition, with the least loss of energy on all sides to get too much more value. Uh, because in, instead of having to, you know, be really working very hard and pushing, 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 and and then overcoming this friction and overcoming this counter pressure that's coming from the customer, you are actually taking their energy kind of like the judo way like you yeah. take their energy and you lead them to where they actually want to go because you know sales doesn't have to be a battle sales can be actually a helping hand and i think that's the or i want to believe that this is a world that we could be living in in the future where it's less about competition there's all no, some competition is necessary but it's not about you know, looking at others and just blindly copying, but it's like diversification and coexistence and collaboration, building community so that we can all make a living and we can all, you know, have a good life where we are creating value, you know, in the world and where, where we don't have to be like fighting each other just to survive. And I think that's, I think that is what I see in this shift and this other way of being and of doing. And I want to believe that this is the future. <laughs> because, but I, well, I'm not sure yet. <laughs> if, um, because it, it's not the way that we currently work. This is not yeah. the practice. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not sure that it would work for everything, but, you know, for developers, for sure, you know, I mentioned earlier that someone wants to build something. And so kind of the momentum that you're talking about using that momentum, they're going to go and build something. You want to then help them see how they would build this thing. And I wrote a post called the developer content mind trick. That's about that. It's like, go with them on that journey, show them what it takes to do that. Yeah. And some number of them are going to say, Hey, thanks for all the info. I'm going to go build this. But many, many of them will say, Oh, I see all of the, edge cases now and i see that you know what they are and that you have built something that already handles these so by going with that momentum you've actually kind of led them to your product without having to shove your product at them you know whether all forms of change can happen with that with that way i mean i think there uh there are probably things you know habits that people have that are so ingrained that there does have to be kind of a much larger shift rather than going with that momentum of, of a habit. But if there's a way to take someone from that habit, the developer habit being building and have them, some amount of them arrive at your solution, that's a much easier way to go than trying to yank them <laughs> out away from their uh, momentum. Yeah, definitely. And I think probably with APIs, they're still building. They're just, they're building on top of a building block that has already 
uh, taken out a bunch of the complexity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this will evolve to enable people that are not by nature builders. Although I guess business developers are also builders, right? Yeah, but not like software builders that don't feel the need to write code, mm-hmm. and and how how we can expand developer portals and service documentation, be it APIs or other interfaces. Yeah, and document them in this way. Because I think it, it is the same problem. It's the, are you going to build the whole functionality from scratch? Or are you going to use this affordance that mm-hmm. like reduces all the, that complexity? You're also not using machine code to build your thing. You're, you're using a programming language, <laughs> like the same way you should use APIs. Uh, the same way you should use SDKs if the SDK does what you need to do. And so I think that's the, um, it's that same problem, but like a different layers of the stack uh, that's coming back. Well, it's, it's interesting. It's, um, yeah. Exciting times. And I think if it was easy, it wouldn't be as fun as it is. So, uh... of course. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of course. Thank you very much, Adam. It's always a pleasure talking with you. I'm very, very much looking forward to some real life meeting somewhere soon. Uh, Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thanks for having me again. Can you tell maybe uh, before you go, how can people find out how to get a copy of your book? Yeah, it's you can search for developer marketing does not exist or go to everydeveloper.com and you'll see it right at the top there. So you have hard copies and and digital. And Kindle. uh, Yep. And Kindle. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, again, thank you very much. And uh, well, thanks for coming back and yeah. talk to you soon. Yeah, good to see you. It's our hope that you're encouraged by today's story and picked up some insights that will help you navigate your digital transformation and make your API program more successful. If you have questions or feedback on the podcast, we invite you to email us at info at Thanks for listening.